Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. Welcome to the Frontline Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Gene Signorini, and I'm excited for today's episode. Today's guest is an experienced product marketer and industry analyst focused on digital service and customer experiences. He has deep familiarity with field service workforce management and frontline worker needs. He currently serves as Vice President Product Marketing at ServiceMax. Please welcome to the show, Sumer Dutta. Sumer, great to have you with us today. Hey, Gene. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Really excited to be on. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for this episode. I know you and I share kind of a, a background as as former industry analysts, either reformed industry analysts or folks who went to the dark side, so to speak. But uh, I'm 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 really excited to get your perspective as somebody who's kind of looked at this space from a very broader perspective and now kind of working very closely with, with customers in your current role. Um, and as you may know, if you're familiar with the program at all, we like to kind of kick it off with a, a kind of a big picture question. And, and so Samara, what I'd love to get your initial perspective on is what you see as the biggest challenge facing the deskless workforce today. That's a really good question. And Gene, thanks again for having me on. And yet we do share the same background. Both, uh, I'd say most people would say if we were to talk about our analyst friends, they'd say we went to the dark side um, <laughs> as, as opposed to we're reformed. But I, I like the reform one, by the way. That's a good one. I might use that. But um, in terms of deskless workers, right, there's, there's two prevailing thoughts, right? If you think about the companies who are hiring deskless workers, the big thing they would talk about is we can't hire enough, we can't retain, we can't keep people. But if you actually go and talk to the deskless workers or frontline workers or field service workers, the folks that we talk to, I think the biggest thing that we're seeing with those folks is kind of uh, not new technology replacing them, but it's the disruption of new technology. And, you know, look, their jobs are pretty easy in terms of uh, the work that had to be done was tough. There's a lot of different things that had to be done, but the uh, the documentation of work was fairly easy. Put down a piece of paper and you hand it off to someone else. I think what has happened with the advent of and use of more technology is that their lives, even in that part, has become a lot harder. And I think there's a, a role and responsibility that all of us as an ecosystem have is to make their lives easier. Uh, let them focus on the work that they need to do. Let them spend more time doing that and let technology actually solve some of their problems, make life easier. So we can start, if we can start figuring that out, if we can start putting solutions in place and ServiceMax is part of this, that can really drive them uh, towards being more productive, spending more time with their customers and less time on unnecessarily paperwork. And the, the true promise of automation reveals itself. I think that's where we can begin to chip away at this problem. So to sh in, in short, I think the, uh, the, the challenge really is, is to get frontline workers the tools that they need to get the job done and spend more time with the customers. Now, I, I think that uh, it's, it's an interesting perspective, Samara, and, and one I would like to dig in a, a little bit on. You know, we talk, and I love that, you know, 
I, I, I was just uh, talking to somebody the other day and, and I kind of use this term as, you know, companies, you know, think about digital transformation, the pro- promise of digital transformation. But on the flip side, for the people who have to use the technology can be digital disruption, right? And those things are potentially an odd, at odds. And you use that term disruption. You know, it's and and I also think that the the unique perspective set is, hey, it's not this fear that they're being replaced by technology, but it's that it's making their job harder. Why do you think that? It, why is it making it harder? Is it just because the technology is designed poorly or implemented poorly, or is it that it's designed to achieve the wrong things, or the you know, it's it's not hitting the mark for the workers themselves? Yeah, and you asked the, the first part of your question, and, and this will be back to analyst days of finding data points, right? We, uh, we did a research study, and I've always been keen on talking to technicians and studying technicians. At my previous role, we sort of led a survey of doing that. And the number one thing that technicians hated as part of the job whenever we asked them was paperwork and administrative tasks, mm-hmm. right? They're like, the amount of time we're spending on paperwork by far was the number one challenge. Um, and so there is, you would think, well, that's a recipe for technology, right? It's paperwork, it's admin, that's what technology is really well designed for. Um, and then we did something similar with uh, the folks at Bain last year in terms of a study with field service technicians. And we asked them again, same thing, you know, what's your, what's it, are you excited for the future? Are you not so excited for the future? And less than a half, I think it was like 46% or something said that we are excited for the future. And it is tied to digital disruption. And you're like, well, what, what gives? You don't like paperwork and admin tasks. And here we're giving you these tools that will potentially or in promise take away some of that. So you know, what gives, what, what are we missing? I don't necessarily think it's a, <clears throat> I don't wanna push this out. Know, obviously I represent a software company and I don't wanna say, well, the blame is not on us. It's on the people who design sort of the, the implementation of the tools. But I think what, what we found has happened um, is that a lot of organizations looked at tools uh, like ServiceMax or otherwise, and they looked at it as an opportunity to automate a lot of their processes. In that, there were definite efficiencies to be gained, definite benefits to be gained, and that occurred quite throughout the organization, but the benefactors of that were more likely the back organization. Mm-hmm. We now have better visibility into the work being done, we have better tracking, we have better knowledge, we have all these things but the, the real benefit went on to the rest of the organization and wasn't really driven to the technicians. So what happened to the technicians was a simple task of writing something down on a piece of paper now became something that they had to write down on a tablet or input into a tablet. And then what ended up happening is a company said, well, we need you know, these 20 fields of data. So let's create 20 fields in our debrief form. And so it, <clears throat> while there is a, a responsibility in all of us to say, well, are those 20 fields of data really necessary? And are they really necessary now? Should we really be spending some time thinking about what the technician goes through, solve some problems for them right away, and then slowly educate them on why we need to capture more and more of this data? So uh, it's not really necessarily a design problem. It's not necessarily that the technology isn't there. The technology is there to do the things that we want. I think we've just we kind of fooled ourselves in terms of the benefit to say, while we were thinking of making lives easier for the technicians, we actually really made lives easier for the organization. And now it's time to begin to pass on, pass that on to the frontline engineers, the frontline workforce, if you will. Yeah. So, sorry, I, long answer. No. I, I tend, to, tend to dance around here, but it, it, it's that's, that's kind of where we're going to have to go is I think the promise of technology is true. 
I would also say frontline workers see the promise of technology. There's a lot of research that points to, hey, learning new tools is not something that I'm afraid of. What I'm afraid of is it's going to add a couple of hours to my work because I don't understand why I need to do these things. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's that, you know, you know, companies going through that first phase, right, which is just digitization of paper or manual processes, right? But they haven't necessarily, to your point, you know, freed, you know, the technician from the from the time and the effort of, of still doing that and capturing it. Right. And, and I'm sure you've actually even seen things. I know, you know, I I've seen it in the past where, you know, the, the whole idea is you're, you're providing a mobile device and mobile application and the, the ability for um, your frontline workers or field service technicians to capture this information in the flow of work. When in reality, they may just push it off to the end of the day and then fill things in, you know, at the end or whatever it is. Right. And and you're not getting those benefits and you're just adding on that that burden to it. And, you know, you use it that I think you use you use the phrase automation. So is it really moving from that? OK, the first phase was digitization and the next phase is really automation. Right. How are we really helping, you know, take the burden off of the technician and allow them to do what you need them to do, right? What only a person can do. Yeah. And then someone, uh, actually, I think it was our head of product who, who mentioned this on a call the other day. And he said, we have so many tools in our tool bag from a technology point of view that it's really, really easy to add a new feature. It's really, really easy to add a new field. What's really, what would be a true test of automation is can we remove some of those things? Can we actually take things away? And then the other, the, the, the other countervailing factor is that, you know, if, if you think about our consumer lives and we're all mobile, but I mean, and uh, you know, a significant chunk of the world is mobile. We're all getting there eventually. We all have mobile devices in some way, shape or form. Uh, we've gone past in the consumer life, you know, that phase one of having to enter everything, right? I'm not no longer entering my location every time I walk in. Now I've given access to, to a service that knows where I am. So when I enter a place or enter my car or I do something, they know where I am and it creates some sort of automation to say, hey, now that you're home, do you, do you or now that you've left, do you want to close your garage door? Like it gives me context as to what. And you're, you're absolutely right. I think the technology is there to begin to remove things. That first wave was really, you know, the promise is that we're going to start tracking what we're doing, but it was really because organizations had been so poor in tracking all that stuff, that phase, phase one was really a kind of a data collection sort of endeavor. Like, can we begin to get the data so then we can begin to analyze it and study it? And so it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a, a misstep per se, but it was companies had to fill that gap. And if you think about the technicians or the front lines, they're not only touching the asset or the product that's being serviced. So your, your brand that's out there in the field, the, the technicians of the front lines represent that, they're actually talking to your customers. And there's a significant amount of value in that conversation, that data, all of that thing that they're collecting. And that's where we're, we're slowly beginning to see some of these technology trends and some of these sort of business process trends take shape to drive a better experience for the technicians. Yeah. I, I think the other thing too, Samir, you know, I, I know you, both you and I were at field service Palm Springs, what a couple months ago now. Um, and um, I, you know, I, I remember a couple of the conversations uh, on the main stage, a couple of presentations 
you know, and 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 I couldn't can't remember exactly who the speaker was, but was really talking about, particularly in the field service sector, like a lot of pe these people are going into these jobs and these roles are taking these roles because they like to solve problems. Right. Mm -hmm. They like to be in the field. They don't want to be at a desk. They want to be in the field. They want to be solving problems. Right. And it, it always strikes me as like, you know, these people, you know, a lot of these technicians, people who are taking these technician roles got into it because they don't want to be sitting at a desk. They didn't necessarily want to be working with technology, right? They want to be out there solving problems. And it seems like, you know, we're asking them to do things that they didn't necessarily want to do to begin with and, and perhaps aren't really that enthusiastic about perhaps. Yeah, no, I, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I think in a, one of the research surveys, I'm trying to think back, we asked them, why did you become a technician? What was, uh, what was your reasoning behind it? You know, was it a family-driven decision? Was it, you know, your parents were in it? You, and most of the thing comes back to like this desire, this innate desire to fix things. Mm -hmm. um, and that could be fixing a piece of equipment. It could be fixing a situation. It could be fixing what's going on with a customer. You know, this, this empathy for customers and the problems that they're going through. So the folks who take on these jobs are inherently folks who want to solve problems. Um, and then they see potentially the, the hurdles to solving those problems. Now, their work, we also, it, it is worth mentioning that, you know, their work is becoming more complex, regardless of the technology that we provide. You know, things that are being fixed are, to a certain extent, sometimes less repairable. <laughs> sometimes, you know, it's, it's less of a manual or a mechanical fix, and it's much more of a digital fix. So the skill sets are changing. And so you know, it's incumbent on them not only to be learning the new technology for their work, but it's also incumbent on them to learn how they're, the things that they're supposed to be fixing are changing. And so there's there's a real appetite for learning. It, it, it's absolutely there, but there, there needs to be that ease of an effort component, if you will, to get to that point. So if it's online learning, it's, you know, it's learning by uh, chunks and bytes. If it's on demand, it's time. So, hey, we know you're going to this site. Here's a couple of things that you might want to know about the site will make your job easier. I think they're beginning to expect that learning is going to be made a lot easier as opposed to having to sit through a, a six-month class, if you will, for something just to get up to speed. So, when, you know, when you say the, the, you know, the role is changing, I'd love to for you to talk a little bit more about that, because that that's that was one of the themes, I think, you know, th that was that was very at the forefront of, of field service Palm Springs. Right. And you yeah. talked about, you know, you know, there's the role changing and then there's also potentially the difficulty to find people to fill those roles. I mean, what are what do you see as the I, I guess you know, the skill sets needed today for today's, you know, field service worker, or, or, you know, um, do you see the profile of those individuals changing as well? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. There's, there's multiple ways to think about how the role is changing. And I'll, I'll touch upon what I think is the biggest theme, perhaps right at the end here. You know, one, as we talked about, the, the work that they're doing is becoming slightly more complex. And um, you know, the, the asset or the product that they're fixing has now got multiple, you know, it's not a simple fix. There's multiple things that could have gone wrong. And, and these aren't necessarily designed to be serviced. They were designed to be convenient, you know, and not designed to be repaired or just serviced properly. So there's their jo job, in essence, fixing something, repairing something, maintaining something has become more complex in general. 
The second thing is, of course, the tools that they use. Now there's an expectation that you fill out forms and you do all this stuff, which they used to do on paper, and that, that has changed. I think the biggest thing that we're seeing change is this idea of what is the role of the, the technician? What is the role of the frontline person? So in a previous bit, I alluded to, and, and this was accelerated actually by the pandemic, You know, the only person representing your brand in front of the customer after the sale of a product is potentially that frontline worker. So they're not only talking to you, they're talking, touching the equipment. They are not only the extension of your brand, but they're the way you can actually go and collect information and data that you can then understand. So what the expectation is from a profile point of view is instead of just looking at someone from a mechanical and technical competence, we now need people in those roles who are customer-centric, customer-facing. And this is where some of the controversy comes in is, do we want them to actually be selling? So if you have FaceTime with the customer and the customer trusts what you say as a technician or as a frontline engineer, which we typically tend to trust people who are fixing our thing, the things we have, you know, should we as an organization be taking advantage of that to a certain extent? And taking advantage sounds bad, but taking advantage of that opportunity to, to uh, take in a sales opportunity. And the statistics being done, you know, if you mention a problem, you provide the solution right there and allow a customer to buy it, they're much more likely to buy because it's, it's fresh, it's top of mind. Even a 24 hour delay can actually lead to a drop off in success rate, right? So there's a lot of statistics that can point to like immediacy of sale. But that creates a really big problem because technicians weren't hired and aren't necessarily interested in selling. They might be interested in talking to customers. Some of them might not even be. They just want to fix a machine or they want to fix a product. But some of them are interested in talking to a customer. But this, this idea of selling, um, this idea of potentially collecting data at the point of service that might not be relevant to your specific job, but maybe you're just collecting. Hey, I look left, I look right, and I see there's these two other products that are competitive. And maybe I can capture that and, and use that from a sales point of view later on. I think that's where there's there's some real frustration or potentially friction, if you will, in the changing of the roles. And the companies are really spending a, hard, a lot of time thinking about this because they want to maximize that time in front of the customer in terms of product as well. Yeah, and I imagine there's probably this friction or this, uh, you know, you, you talked about this, you know, they there are technicians that don't necessarily want to be selling. On the other hand, it, it certainly sounds like the profile right of the um of your typical you know technician is they want to be solving problems as you said earlier they want to be helping people right yeah. so you know it may really be the way you know how is it really being presented right so if they're out there helping right their customer by making a recommendation right for the product or or a service that could help them i'm sure there's a comfort level with that probably the discomfort comes in when it's there's an expectation, right, for them to be selling or pushing things, right, where they don't necessarily think it may be in the best interest of the of the customer. Yeah, and, and depending on the customer, the expectation, or if you knew that your technician who was fixing your critical assets had a sales quota, you would begin to think about the advice they were giving yeah. you with, with the level of, like, is this something I really need? You know, it's if you don't trust your car mechanic and they sell you, hey, you know, we've got to do this, this and this. You're like, mm, you're just trying to upsell me, but I don't really need it. So if if there's actually some customers who say if our customers found out that our technicians had a quota or an expectation of selling 
or were rewarded for selling, then it, it might change the way they look at the advice that was given, which is not, not what you want to do. You don't want to interfere with that trust that exists between. I think what most organizations are settling on is the idea that we're going to have um, our technicians recommend solutions to our customers um, and recommend opportunities for improvement to the customer, whether that's from a success. So how do you use the product better? Or by the way, your equipment's of end of life or this part is shot. I can repair it, but I'm going to be out here in three more months because it's going to break again. And it really makes more sense for you to buy a new piece of equipment. I think where there's an incentive is to get technicians to recommend those solutions and potentially capture those opportunities and then have someone from a much more account management or inside sales point of view follow up on that opportunity. But here's a really interesting bit in all of this is we've seen a lot of companies go down that path and say, we're going to create a lead form for you to a technician, go, go capture a lead. What then tends to happen is that the companies don't put in the backend infrastructure to follow up on that lead. So you either have a person who's selling a big piece of equipment that makes like a million dollar sale. Now they're getting a lead for, let's say a $500 part. You know, how many of those is the salesperson really going to follow up on? So now the technician has spent their goodwill there with the customer and say, hey, you should get this part. Sales, sales guy or gal hasn't followed up because they couldn't care less. No one has benefited from that interaction. And, you know, technicians remember that. They're like, I recommended something last time and we didn't do anything as an organization about it. So I'm not ever going to recommend anything again. So I think as an organization, it's incumbent that if you request that your technicians do that for your business or your frontline workers do that, put in the very basic infrastructure to follow up on those um, and then finally make them aware of what happened in that follow-up so they can have trust in the system um, and not get caught up in like, well, last time I didn't get recommended or I didn't get followed up on, I didn't get my bonus. I had to chase my bonus. It was really a very arduous task. You know, that will just destroy a whole lead generation program right away. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, as you were kind of talking about that, you know, that was the first thing, you know, both of us, you know, are, are in marketing ourselves. So like that was saying, oh, really not turning the technician into a salesperson, you're talking, turning them into, um, you know, essentially, you know, a market education, marketing education role, right? You know, helping them understand the choices they make. And a lead general, as you talked about, the, the other thing that's funny, I think it goes back to the point you made much earlier, which is this is a perfect example where, you know, the technology is not being supportive of the technician, yeah. right? It's like, okay, you're asking them to do things and then you're not making their lives easier, right? Or helping them succeed when they're doing that. I think that's a, a great illustration of that one. And I hadn't even kind of thought of that as one of those examples, right? That, hey, listen, there's nothing that, you know, if, if I'm going out and collecting information and collecting data and capturing things, there's no follow-up, right? And that makes me as a, um, as your representative and, and me as an individual lose my credibility. Yep. I think there's a big effort story there. If it's difficult for me to capture the lead, if it's difficult for the follow-up, if it's difficult for me to get paid or uh, see a benefit on it, I'm not going to do it. I just, and interestingly, like we've seen examples of companies who are like, you should push these leads. You should push these opportunities. Go ahead and do it. The technician spends 10 more minutes doing that. Then they come back and the manager beats them up on, they spent 10 more minutes on a call than they had to because they could have used those 10 minutes for another call. So you can just see the disconnect there. You know, someone is communicating that you need to do these things, but when you do it, you get beaten up for it. 
So it, it requires, you know, technology is one solution to all of those, but it really requires a change mindset internally. We will eventually get there. I think the front line is going to become this very active um, customer success workforce, if you will. And I'm using customer success pretty broadly here, but I think those interactions that the front lines have, organizations are going to want to tap into that more and more. So, and again, from a revenue and a lead generation point of view, from um, just a building a better relationship with the customers, recommending the customer, hey, did you know you could be using this feature this way, or you're not using this feature, or other customers do this, and you know, so there's there's a there's a conversation which drives the adoption of your product. And then the third thing that we didn't get necessarily dig into too much, and I don't want to get into the depths of this, is is this idea of uh, data collection. You know, if you're on site, what is it that you can collect? The basic thing would be like give us some basic information on the machine you fix, so now we have it in our records and we know. We know what, what it is, where it is, where it's located, who's using it, how it's performing, what's its age. Then you can start thinking about, does it have a service contract on it? Does it have a warranty? You know, a lot of these products were sold 10, 15 years ago, and none of that information was collected. There's a sort of blind spot around mm -hmm. install base. And a lot of companies are saying, well, if our technician's on site, can we start filling those gaps a little bit? Some people call it the poor man's IoT. So, you know, yeah. IoT, or the internet of things being let's put sensors on everything, but we're not gonna put sensors on everything that's out there, right? Our, our retrofit strategy, there's not a lot of assets that we're gonna go out. So can we use that interaction with the technician to, to begin to fill those gaps? Again, if you don't communicate why the technician's doing that, if you don't have the performance mechanisms in place to allow them to do that, again, you spend 15 minutes capturing an asset, but you got beaten up because you spent 15 extra minutes on your call, you know, a lot of things can go wrong in that whole cycle. So automation can play a big role in making that that easier. And that's something that we as ServiceMax and all the other companies in this space need to start working on is how can we make those those things a lot easier? Yeah. And I actually, you know, this has been a we've been rolling here on this conversation, but I, I would like you to take a few minutes, talk a little bit about uh, ServiceMax, you know, because uh, there's probably folks that are listening that aren't um, familiar with ServiceMax and certainly would be interested to kind of hear, you know, in particular, what your role is and, and kind of, um, you know, how you guys are, are trying to address some of these, the challenges you, you've been speaking about. Yeah, and I'm happy to, you know, ServiceMax is, is one of the leaders, if you will, and we would like to think the leader in the field service management marketplace. Um, we like to think it's much more than just field service. It's what we call service execution. So it's kind of the end-to-end -end service. Not all service is done in the field. So much of it happens in the back office and we're seeing much more on this idea of remote service, right? People responding yep. to things, but while not physically being in front of that asset. And then there's a depot component, there's a repair component. There's so many different things that go across this aftermarket life cycle. Anyways, we have a portfolio of solutions that's designed to support companies that have assets out in the field to support those assets and to deliver better outcomes for their customers. The bulk of what we do is around sort of this management of work, the management of the workforce, the management of assets so that you can deliver better service outcomes to your customers. Um, you can learn more about ServiceMax. Again, I can do a plug at servicemax.com. Um, we, uh, I am in charge of our product marketing. As you mentioned, I actually found my way to ServiceMax through a different team, which is our global customer transformation team where they actually assemble and do a really good job of assembling uh, 
former industry executives, or in this case, an analyst who talked yep. to industry executives to guide our customers really in what they should be doing in their service transformation journey. Um, so it's not necessarily one to say you should be buying ServiceMax, but it's more so about, you know, here's the maturity of your organization and here's where you should be going or thinking about. And here's how a tool like ServiceMax can help you do those things. Um, and um, so that's how I came into the organization and I've kind of transitioned myself into a product marketing lead with a very big focus on, and thankfully ServiceMax allows me to do this, a very big focus on listening to our customers because I don't think we can message our products. I don't think we can tell our story unless we know what our customers are doing or planning to do with our product. Yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about that. So what are the things you do to kind of tap into the mindset of your customers, tap into the mindset of you know, some of the frontline workers themselves, right? So yeah. I imagine, you know, when you think of your customer constituents, you've got constituents across the board, right? From from operations and executive leadership to um, kind of technology and middle management, and then the actual, you know, frontline the users themselves in some case, or even the back office yeah. users of your technology, you know, kind of how do you, how do you kind of gather that, that feedback, those insights from the field? Yeah, for me specifically, you know, I just, I spend as much time as I can in front of our customers. It's kind of the easiest way to do it. It's a little bit of a cheat because you can look at analytics of what content people are consuming, what features are they asking for, you know, when when we go through sales cycles, what's really resonating, what are people talking about? I'm really, my approach for the most part is spending as much time as I can I just got back from a little bit of a customer roadshow and just asking the same questions that, you know, what, what's happening at a, what's happening at a technology level within your organization? How are the products changing? What's happening at a customer level? Where are your customers pulling you, right? Because we, our customers, their customers are asking them to do certain things. And so we need to be mindful of what our customers' customers want so that we can pr- propose solutions or functionality that can help them solve those problems. And then the third thing uh, that we've often done at ServiceMax, and I, you know, I bring this back from my research is, so the customer of ours is the person who buys the software and then implements it, of course, but then the end user of that is the technician, is the back office persona. And uh, throughout the journey at ServiceMax, we've had this really big philosophy of ride-alongs, which is spending as much time with our customers, actually users, to see how they utilize that system and what are they doing with that system. And you see a lot of um, you see a lot of scary things at times because like how did how are you using ServiceMax this way? It's again, it's just a duplication of your paper process. But you also see some real innovation of people who took the product and did something amazing with it that wasn't necessarily designed to do. So um, long answer again, but you know, spending as much time with our customers, we have a VOC program that I've put in place. We have customer advisory boards. We have customer workshops that we do. We spend as much time with our customers, not only in our product marketing org, but actually our product management org as well. Um, I don't spend, admittedly, I don't spend as much time with the technicians as I would like to. Um, and, And that's something that we have in the past taken some time to invest in, bringing technicians to user events, doing technician focused events, uh, but we need to do more of that and we need to be aligned with where the technicians are going and where they're pulling in terms of technology and business needs. Because every one of our customers is looking at ways of making things easier um, in terms of making their technicians' lives a lot easier. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's you know we're very similar mindset for us, right? We love to the ride-alongs, and we love to kind of see how at skillful. We love to understand how you know those frontline workers are kind of using our technology as well. You know, it, there is a practical challenge of that with that, particularly today, right? Where it is a burden on their time, right? And and right. you know, the bandwidth that they have to uh, accommodate that is is becoming less and less as well. Yeah, and there's access, you know. I've been with some of our customers to to places where, you know, a lot of our customers are in medical devices. You know, a hospital doesn't necessarily want us tagging along, yeah. right? When a technician's there, there's access issues. With COVID, there were significant access yeah. issues. And we also have customers with service equipment at like food and beverage sites. I actually went on a ride along to, you know, I'm based out in Wisconsin here. We have the Johnsonville Broad Company <laughs> nearby. Anyone who likes Bratwurst likes Johnsonville Broad. So I'll plug for my state, if you will. <laughs> uh, but I did a ride along there. And, and there's very significant restrictions on who gets into a, you know, a food environment. You're dealing with food. You're dealing with all these. So I think access is a big concern. The one thing I would say about our customers, and we're blessed to have a profile of, you know, 350 plus organizations who support us. They are very invested in the solution that is ServiceMax and the innovation on it. So if they believe that they're spending time to improve future iterations of the product, we have rarely seen an instance where, where a customer would turn us down. Again, all of those access and restrictions issues are there. But our, what we found with our customer base, and most organizations hopefully are lucky in this scenario, is there is a desire for our customers to, to have ServiceMax succeed. There is a desire from our customers to have ServiceMax innovate. There is a desire from our customers to have ServiceMax invest in the new and latest technology so that they can then benefit from that. So if they're spending an hour of time, which will magnify that impact down, we found for the most part, our customers, our customer community is very, very positive on that forefront. And, and we're lucky to have that, if you will. Have you seen, I think you mentioned, uh, you, there was a, a, a paraphrase, but you talked about, you know, you've been kind of maybe pleasantly surprised or been excited to see some of the things as you've talked to to customers and, and what they're doing, what they're innovating. Is there anything that stands out? Are you seeing uh, customers asking for any particular type of innovations? Um, does anything kind of come to mind? This is a, this is a whole run. There's a whole list. I, I, that's the other thing about vocal customers. They're not afraid to give you a list, right? <laughs> I know. I mean. I need all of these areas. So if I were to break it into, let's say a couple of buckets, just for the purpose of brevity, um, I can I can talk about it from the, so the problem that customers are looking to solve, but also the approach to it. So the first bucket is in essence, anything that will help with the transfer of knowledge to the, to the very point that we've assembled ourselves here today is to say that there is a shortage of field workers and technicians, there's a shortage of frontline workers. Companies can't hire quickly enough for the work that they have. Then um, they can't bring people up to speed fast enough. And then the third bit is they're losing people. And that's not just from a going to a different company or a job for a $5 an hour or whatever wage increase. That's some of that. But there's also it's an aging workforce, as we see in a lot of the manufacturing centric disciplines, if you will. So the net net of it is companies are seeing that we're not going to have the capacity to fit all these needs. Now, some of that capacity might be replaced with, you know, a third-party workforce. We might, we might, all of our PMs might go to this third-party organization. 
all of our XYZ work might go in this region, might go to a different organization. But for the most part, you know, there's capacity issues. So anything that can help maintain the expertise and the knowledge of a technician, especially because they know these assets, they know the work, and can, and can filter that back to the next batch of technicians or the next generation of technicians, but do it in a quicker manner is of interest to our companies. So you can say, well, is that traditional knowledge management? It falls under the bucket of knowledge management, but it's really more so about, it comes in kind of three or four buckets. One is kind of learning and onboarding, like what kind of material are you learning and teaching people? Is it, is it user-generated content? Is it video? Is it on-demand? Is it as needed? You know, then, then there is a um, sort of uh, job preparation type of content. We know you're going to this job. What can we, what can we provide you? It's, you know, we give you information on the location, on, on the work to be done, uh, materials, manuals, all those things that you need, most common problems. And then the third thing is when a technician is stuck, when they, when they have a problem, what, is, what does that medium to get assistance? So there's a lot of idea around this concept of like remote, right? What can I, can you see what I see type of thing or virtual assistant, remote assistance? Some people will say augmented reality. I don't think we're there in terms of augmented reality yet. Um, I think the technology is there. I just don't think the use case is there yet enough, but you know, this assistance bit. And then it's like, okay, once we've done all of this, do we, can we analyze and study the data enough to begin to find which technicians need training on what, right? So, so this, this entire idea of knowledge and transfer is, is one area of innovation that we're not, act, our customers are actively asking for things, but we're also actively moving in those areas. So that's, that's one bucket and that's a really long answer. Um, the second one is this idea of, uh, insights and I'll keep it to two, like how do we make smarter decisions mm -hmm. around our assets? Like when do we need to replace this asset? Should we replace it now? Did we, did we sweat it too long? Um, we spent too much money repairing it or are our customers spending too much money maintaining it? Can we make an active decision on that? Which has, you know, revenue implications. What are we doing with our workforce? Which workers are the most productive and why? And, you know, all those different things. And then customer insights, like, you know, is our customer happy with us? What's our customer's sentiment? You know, are they likely to be happy? So, and then the, using that data to become more proactive and predictive. So everyone, this is an interesting one because any single person I'll talk to will say, we want to be predictive analytics, but the data isn't there to do that properly at scale. So it's a, it's a mixture of, can we prevent failures before they happen? And then can we be more proactive in communicating with our customers and give them a solution uh, to solve their problem? So it's kind of those three major buckets, if you will. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I go back to the very beginning of our conversation, right, about, you know, whether the technology is there to really support what the the frontline worker, the deskless worker needs, you know, of those buckets, right, certainly that knowledge piece that you talked about seems like, you know, I kind of think about this term, like empowering the frontline worker, right? The things that we're yeah. doing to make them more effective at their job. It's encouraging to hear that. I think that, you know, that is, and, and certainly we're seeing it as well, right? As we talk to our customers, we, we are at Skillful, we are hearing that, that same kind of thing, which is, listen, we need to, you know, obviously there is the as you talked about, just the the economic pressures or the, the workforce pressures that are happening, right, that they're being forced yeah. to kind of go that route. But I think there's also this this recognition is like, no, this is what our frontline workers need and what they want. This isn't something that they even feel necessarily burdened by. Right. They are, I, I think, 
the, the, the workers themselves are like, Hey, it's about time. We need this stuff. Right. And, and like that remote support, I think is a perfect example where that, you know, that, that moment of need information, you know, we often, you know, we often talk about, you know, frontline workers, field service technicians being on an Island, right. They're there alone in front of the customer. Right. And they don't want to feel helpless. They want to solve the problem and they don't want to feel helpless. They don't want to look bad. They want that information, you know, to help them make those decisions when they need it. And to a certain extent, it's also generational, right? Some of the, uh, some generations, they're not going to seek that help, right? They're trying to figure it out on their own. But if you begin to think that the younger generations are the next generation of your workforce, not only are they more attuned to technology and the capabilities of technology, I mean, if you just think about us, uh, we're not the next generation of workers, but if you think about us, you know, if, if I had a problem and I had to troubleshoot it, I go through three or four steps on my own, right? And there's video, there's ask a few people, you know, can you see what I see on my, you know, whatever consumer sort of device I'm using. There's probably three or four levers I use on my own before I reach out to an official, let's say, service repair technician type of person. So you think about generationally, too, there's this desire for help and acceptance of help. Um, and that might not be your entire portfolio, but there is. And that's the promise of technology. So I, I do think that, um, you know, I think this, this, this remote support arena um, technician assistance, knowledge, all of those things. I, I think that sometimes they get bucketed into these different arenas. You're like, well, we've got onboarding and learning. We've got sort of ongoing education. We've got, you know, work preparation, if you will, day before or whatever. And then we've got this, and they tend to be different continuums and they all need to be looked at as a sort of, you know, technician empowerment sort of continuum. And all those need to go together. And then obviously data and analytics feeds better intelligence there. So I'd encourage most companies to kind of sit down with their learning, with their training, with their knowledge before they go and buy, let's say a knowledge management solution, like look at this entire spectrum of things that are impacting your technicians, because it might not be a solution X or solution Y, but a little bit more of a sort of end-to-end -end view of the learning experience for your engineers, your frontline workers. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And one of the things that we have experienced or I've experienced when is that, you know, when you talk about the the learning, you know, learning and development or or knowledge experience for frontline worker, they're they're they tend to be left behind, right? So even with more sophisticated organizations that do have, you know, large learning and development organizations or whatever for whatever reason, that frontline, it's not always true, right? I mean, we've seen certainly yeah. in field service, I think they're probably a little bit more advanced than other companies, but we is certainly there's a, there's more of a struggle to kind of deliver that, that knowledge to that frontline worker kind of community. And I think a lot of it has been left up to operations themselves, right? The field service organizations yeah. to kind of figure that out without as much maybe corporate support on that. I think there's, to your point, there's probably been more of a focus on old school knowledge transfer, right? Which yeah. is, you know, you know, uh, you know, the technician who's been on the job 25 years, taking the other ones under their wing or being the guy that they can call when they, when they fall into a, into a yeah. trap. But um, I, I think you're right. And that we're starting to see, you know, the technicians trying to find a, a, their, their own, you know, or, or encouraging their organizations to help them out in different ways. Yeah. And I, I, I want to go back to some research, you know, this, the study we, we did with Bain and company last year, and again, it was 283 technicians. And I think it's about 
50%, maybe a little bit more of like the technician said that the tools that they have are easy and easy to use, if you will. And we dig deeper into that. Well, what gives? Like, how could you maybe be made easier? Uh, is this tool designed to give you the benefits? And they said, yes, the tool can do what we expect it to do. We just need more information and training and insight in a digestible form on how we can utilize the tool to do our jobs better. Um, so it's, you know, if you ask the question, are you happy with the tools you have, you're likely to get, you know, people will focus on a lot of the things that it doesn't do well, but a lot of that from an unpacking point of view gets down to like, how did you communicate this? And what was the, not necessarily just an overall change management, I tend to bucket a lot of things into change management, but these new features and functionalities, how did you digest that to the lowest common denominator to say, instruments as technician, this is how this is going to impact your life. Some of it is not going to be great. We need you to capture this data. It's a regulatory thing. It's a form you have to fill. We can't get, we can't bypass it. But some of this is intended for these reasons to make your life easier. And, and so the number one sort of answer to that is we just need better learning and understanding of what these tools do and how they can best be utilized. We prefer that to be done by our peers. So if you can actually get a technician to train another technician or a group of technicians, it's even better. Um, and then we need to understand, we need to know why we're doing these things. Um, why am I collecting data? You know, three to four out of 10 technicians don't, don't see the point of some of the data they're collecting, which means you've done a really poor job as an organization to say, you're collecting this data or you're filling out this field and this is how it's being used in our overall sort of customer life cycle. Um, so there's, there's a lot of opportunity for education. And we're just talking about technicians doing their jobs. You know, when you ask the sort of the big themes from a technician point of view, we're not even getting to the what's happening from a career path and a mentorship point of view. What's happening from a workforce engagement point of view? That's that's regardless of the technology of getting the job done, right? There's so many other areas from our learning and development skills, career paths that's on the minds of technicians nowadays. Yeah, yeah. No, I think your your point is you know, you, you kind of mentioned it's, it's not, you know, talk about, well, why do we have this feature functionality? Why are we collecting data? You know, and, and one of the things that we often see is it's, it's, you're trying to put things in context of their work, right. Is I, I think is, yeah. is kind of right. Is, and, and, and my, and there's two levels that is like, okay, the, the big, why are we collecting data? Well, here's kind of what it means for you. Here's what it means for the organization. And then when we get down to the technology and the tools, like you said, it's like, okay, well, I just need to understand how do I, how do I actually use this during the course of my day, right? Yeah. How is it going to help me, right? Within the context of my workflow, it's not about features and functionality to them, right? It's just like any other tool, right? They, yeah. the, your, these technicians carry around tools and technology has become another tool for them and they yeah. need to know exactly how to use it and, and when, when and why to use it, right? Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. So um, before we wrap, it's been a great conversation. You know, I, I did want to kind of dig in. So what made you want to kind of make that move, you know, um, from being an analyst to kind of going now to being what I would call kind of a practitioner, if you will, you know, and, and working directly with customers on that? What was what kind of drove you to kind of make that shift? It's a good question. Uh, the one thing I recognized from an analyst perspective was that I wanted to I was spending a lot of time benchmarking and studying best practices, or I can throw a statistic up about anything. <laughs> and, uh, and I could do a pretty good job of it in most things field service. I feel pretty comfortable in being up to speed on themes and trends and data points that are relevant for field service. 
what often got me was a lot of companies would say, and then the second thing of that, companies would say, well, you know, you're saying 28% of companies do this or don't do this and 72 do this. Can you show me others who are doing it? And I found, formed a very good network of companies and, and uh, was able to connect people one-to-one, one-to-many, whatever. But what I began to realize is like the, the, the depth to that data point, the context to that data point was something that was, was missing in, in my repertoire. I needed to add a little bit more of that. And so I could accomplish that one of two ways. One is to go to an actual end user practitioner, manufacturer who's sort of building or transforming their service business and be part of that. Um, and or I could go to someone like a service max who is let's say the market leader in that space and has, has insights and access to all of these different customers, all of these different industries that are using a product and doing certain things with it. And just from a scale point of view, from my knowledge, to get a little bit deeper in understanding the business and the business process and the business practice, this was one of those ways of me to accomplish that. So that's why I made that transition to become a little bit more technically, quote, go to the dark side but use that as an opportunity to learn more about the customers of the people that we would be serving. And, and again, it's a really vibrant community of people, if you will. If you think about just field service, you know, it's been a traditionally very underserved community. There's not been a lot of solutions. You can find any amount of information about how to be a better salesperson, how to be a better, how to be a better marketer, how to be a better marketing leader or sales leader, but you don't hear a lot about how to be a better service leader. What are some of the transformational elements? What are some of the tools? And so I still think, and I still believe it's a relatively underserved community. And there's a lot of desire for insight and knowledge from each other, from people like ourselves, you know, in, in the software realm, and from people who are, let's say, industry analysts in terms of best practices and knowledge. So it's really more about getting deeper, getting past that surface level and understanding the context a little bit. So as opposed to beating you up about a 30% attach rate, I now understand why your attach rate is at 30% because your sales incentives aren't aligned. You know, so it's just, it's just using an example of getting a little bit deeper overall. Yeah. Did you, um, did you always set out to work in technology or did that kind of come, you know, by accident or, you know, how did you wind up being a, a tech analyst to begin with? Uh, it's, it's by accident, to be honest. Uh, I studied to be a financial analyst, uh, but also graduated and started looking for a job at the time when uh, financial, let's just say financial analysts weren't in high demand. Um, this, this typically tends to happen when the market's either in recession or there's financial turmoil. Uh, so, you know, not the number one uh, career choice, if you will. So what I did um, was fortunate to have an opportunity with the network of people I knew was that they, they understood the value of the analytical skills and this just wanted me to challenge myself in a discipline that wasn't the one that I was sort of educated on. So I, I got the opportunity to be a tech analyst. I, uh, I was thrown into, if you will, this realm of service and field service and sort of asked to learn it. And um, once I began to understand the business of it, the technology of it then began to take on meaning because there's so much opportunity from a technology point of view. So it's not by design. I didn't study to be a, a field service tech analyst, if you will, or uh, industry analyst covering this space, but it just happened to be that was the community where I saw a lot of design interest for a mixture of my analytical skills, but also sort of just the idea of bringing people together from a community point of view. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I kind of consider myself an accidental technologist, so to speak, myself, you know, I had no intention, but kind of got sucked into the enterprise mobility space uh, as well uh, on the analyst side. So one last question then, yep. as an accidental technologist, if you will, you know, and having worked in the kind of technology realm for as long as you have, what is it? that you love about working with in, in kind of the technology field, right? Um, and I know you're very focused on service, right? And, and yeah. you'd probably say um, you're an expert more in service customer experience, but obviously there's that intersection with technology. What is it you love about it? And what is it that you don't like as much? And you can take it in either order. What I love about it is the impact that it has and, and to see that impact, not just at the organization level, which is, you know, it's good but to see the impact on those people who use it. Um, you know, I didn't, you know, I'm not a, I, I don't build software, I don't build hardware and I don't, so I don't necessarily get to see that personally to see someone using the product that I build and see the impact on their lives. But, you know, we talked about these ride-alongs we do and we talked about the work we used to do in the past. You can actually see someone's life being transformed by the, the work that they do. And of course, in the instance of, let's say our medical companies, when they fix that MRI machine or they fix that CT scanner or they fix that device, that's, that's life-saving work that's being done. And so it gives you a lot of purpose to think about. It's not just our technology that's helping you know, a field service engineer, but it's potentially helping the families and the people out there who need that life-saving equipment, that life-saving medicine, whatever that might be. And that's just taking the medical. So it gives you a sense of purpose to begin to think like we, our technology matters. And so, you know, we have this tagline about keeping the world running or our tools help keep the world running. And there's a great amount of truth to that because there is a significant impact for the, the technology that we have. Um, what perhaps I don't like, and this is what we've been discussing is sometimes the disconnect between where technology is and what we're doing with technology and actually the, the actual need of that person who we're trying to build the tools for, right? And, and to the, the very juncture we've been talking about is this idea of effort at the technician level. You know, can we really, um, as a company, sort of hold true to that promise of making their lives easier? And that doesn't mean we need to then... Uh, add in AR, or we need to add in, you know, XYZ new, newfangled technology. It means that we need to spend a lot more time understanding the real problem, the real use case, and then having the solution sort of address those needs. So sometimes I think we get too caught up in the gimmick of technology as opposed to the actual value of it. And I think once we can get by that barrier, um, I think we can do a lot of really interesting things for our customers and end users. Well, I think that's a, a great way to kind of wrap up the discussion, Samara. I, I really enjoyed having you today and, and having this conversation. It's been a great discussion. Appreciate you coming by. Well, Gene, anytime, you know, I, I, as you can tell, I tend to give very long answers and I'm pretty passionate about this topic. So your podcast, by the way, I've looked at some of the, the guests. There's a lot of focus on sort of learning and development and knowledge as it, as it comes to there's some really good speakers on that topic. Um, I think anything that we can do to, to raise attention to the frontline workers, the work that they do, uh, the community that they have, and making things easier for them, I'm all for it. So I appreciate the opportunity to be part of it. And hopefully you'll bring me back. Uh, hopefully there's, there's some interest in another session. So I look Yeah, I'd lo love to at some point, Samir, definitely. I, I'm sure we probably could have talked for two hours today. So I'm sure there's more than enough to fill another another episode. And, and thanks for the 
for the little plug on the, on the, uh, on the, for our podcast. Cause yeah, we, we've, we've just seen some great, um, interest in it and, and having folks like yourself join us is, is always fantastic. Um, by the way, uh, a little plug again, if, as you mentioned earlier, Sumer, if, if folks want to find out a little bit more about service max, they can go to www.servicemax.com. Um, if folks want to reach out to you, Sumer, I'm assuming LinkedIn is a great place to, to find you. LinkedIn uh, is probably the best place. Um, we're happy to share email as well, but LinkedIn is probably yeah. the best. And I am on Twitter, but I'm not the most uh, prolific on Twitter. You would say, as a technologist, how is that the case? Well, yes, I'm not on as prolific on Twitter, but you can find me there as well. But LinkedIn is probably, probably the best opportunity. Okay. And what is your Twitter handle, by the way? It is S-U-M-A, then the number one R. Sumer was taken, S-U-M-A-I-R. So it's S-U-M-A-1-R, ah, which is me. And then you search my full name on LinkedIn and firstname.lastname at servicemax.com if you, need, if you need me for email. Yeah, and for folks listening, um, if you go to the Frontline Innovators LinkedIn uh, page, you'll see the post with this episode and, and we'll, uh, and, and summarily tagged in that, uh, as well. So if you want to reach out to him there, um, Samara, great, uh, great to have you again. Um, uh, and, uh, looking forward to future conversations. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it, Gene. Thank you for having me on. Great. Well, um, I hope folks listening have enjoyed this as much as I have. If so, please share and rate this podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. And a friendly reminder that this podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. You can visit the Skillful website at skillful.com, S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. Until then, see you on our next episode.